Having the right TMS is vital in supporting freight broker growth. Partner with Thai Software to optimize your processes and compete with confidence. Get into the automation, data insights, and cash flow optimization game. Request a demo at thaisoftware.com. Welcome back to another edition of Check Call. Today we're talking all things warehouse optimization. Don't forget to subscribe to Check Call the newsletter on FreightWaves.com if you haven't already. Today we are joined by the one and only Lark Freilich, the CTO at Softion. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. I am kind of excited about today because this warehouse optimization is something that I think a lot of people want to do more of and kind of you know, make sure that their their supply chain's running efficiently. But I think everyone gets lost in the weeds so much um, or thinks it's too complicated. So I'm excited to get into it today. Uh, before we get too far into that, let's get some background on you and kind of how you got started at Softion. Uh, sure. I, I've been in the field um, for a long time, since the late 80s. You can tell by my luxurious gray hair that uh, <laughs> I've been around uh, and really had the fortune to see this uh, industry sort of mature and from the point of, you know, some old guy upstairs, you know, oh, we got to get our stuff out the door, you know, looking at the system to, you know, really professional um, um, folks in the I, in the in the supply chain space, you know, using uh, all the current tools to to optimize their facilities. So along the way, I've uh, created some of the most used architectures in the business. I have the fortune of creating one of the um, architectures that's still one of the top architectures for doing supply chain um, execution in the business and then just led me to doing uh, it, um, implementations in 17 different countries and you know it's just such a great space to be in because it's always in motion and it's always needed uh, so uh, yeah I've been around for a long time and joined uh, Softion had the opportunity to take my staff and my uh, some of our uh, intellectual property and join them and it's been a great situation for us. That's amazing. So you're like the original, uh, if you if you will, I'm going to call you the OG freight tech guy. Like you are, you are Mister Freight Tech. I am one of the I am one of the originals, right? We we were doing, you know, we were doing stuff, you know. Um, I mean, I, I was one of the original snow, snowboarders, and I was a snowboarder when snowboarding was when we were the outlaws. So I figured, like. It kind of, you know, went together, right? My career in supply chain and snowboarding kind of mature. I like it. The I wonder how big that Venn diagram is between snowboarders and uh, logistics supply chain professionals. I feel like it's got to be a much bigger circle. Yeah, I do meet them. Like, you know, we talk about, you know, hey, we were outlawed from most of the places in Utah. And we were, you know, in the back in the day. But uh, anyway, uh, still snowboard, still surf, do all that kind of stuff. And I'm still in supply chain. I love it. Nothing can nothing can keep you down. Exactly. All right. So the thing that you guys have kind of become known for is that warehouse optimization thing. Um, can you kind of break down kind of how one, I guess, like how you kind of got started in that space, but also why it's become such a natural progression in the supply chain to kind of, you know, when you're looking at fixing a supply chain or revamping it, why warehouse optimization is one of those first things that comes up. Sure. If you think about how, how we started uh, originally, and a lot of sites are still like this, where you have what we would call a conventional um, warehouse system, which you might have a little mobile devices going around, you know, folks with mobile devices. That's really how it started. And then, you know, as you as we matured and said, okay, we'd like to get more efficiency, we added things like voice, right? Um, voice systems are still really um, high ROI 
um, in terms of automation. Then we added like pick to light and you know lightweight automation like that, and then we matured into um, you know more serious automation cranes and that sort of stuff. And then we kind of echoed, we, we kind of moved back toward, toward things that are a little bit more nimble. And so that whole spectrum has occurred really over the last 20 years, but really, really um, uh, amplified. It's been really amplified in the last five or 10 years, I would say, with the addition of robots and things like that. And so what I think is, what, what I sort of characterize this is, is like it's the floor, the warehouse floor, the you know your your logistics floor is the battleground for innovation, because it's harder to do things out of the outskirts. It's harder to do receiving. That we're doing some stuff on the inbound with robotic, um, you know, um, receiving processes. Uh, shipping, you can have automated shipping systems and loaders and things like that. But really, you know, from from the scalability of your facility, it's got to be the and so the focus is really shifted to the floor and um, the level of innovation is, is skyrocketed probably since about 2014, 2015, when Amazon bought the only uh, goods to person player in the industry and then caused a vacuum, a vacuum. And that was very, that, that actually, it was interesting to watch it happen because I was like, oh no, they're going to get consumed by Amazon. And then what happened was that vacuum created a whole slew of new players that really contributed to what's the greatness of what's been going on in their industry since then. And it's just that's massive about much of automation trying to get to the floor and which is unfortunately, you know, this great. And, you know, the vendors are a little, sometimes get a little, um, you know, annoyed at the fact that it just takes them some time to get, get there and get, get their stuff to, 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 to be used in real life. But the reality is it, it's led to this situation where folks just, are a little bit frozen by like all the stuff going on and like how do you rationalize that with all these then you go to a show like modex or something like that which is coming up in march and you see all this cool technology that's getting to the trying to get to the floor and how do you normalize rationalize that and that's sort of the business that we are right is to say okay it really doesn't have to be all that complicated what we need to do is focus on roi so roi needs to be the especially like in 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 the 3pl space where I mean, it's all about ROI, right? They're selling this, you know, they're selling their, you know, they're selling themselves as a service, right? Essentially to say, we're going to distribute for you and it's got, there's got to be ROI. And so all that stuff is coming together at the same time and causing this sort of exciting energy, which then I think, like I said, makes it difficult sometimes for people to consume it. I think that's a really good point because you have all of this. Um, I feel like the transportation and supply chain world just immediately, like kind of overnight, popped up with all these different supply chain, with all these different technology solutions, which personally I'm happy for um, because it's, we got to stop running our supply chain on Excel. Don't get me wrong. I love Excel, but I will say this until I am blue in the face. We cannot be using Excel as a TMS or like an ERP system. Like we got to move on. We got to move on, guys. No, totally with you. Yeah, exactly. But I like that people are looking to some of these technological solutions and kind of thinking about, okay, how can I optimize these processes, whether it's my back office or my warehouse or anything like that? Um, Because I think so much when people think of, you know, like if I'm going to optimize my operations and I'm going to optimize my warehousing, if for some reason everybody thinks it's two separate things that like, you know, this involves software over here with my back office. But anytime I'm talking about the warehouse, 
well, suddenly I need robots and like $200 million to redo a warehouse. But there's actually a lot more that you can do without having to necessarily shell out $200 million to get the nicest, coolest new robots. And I think that's something that a lot of people kind of forget is that you don't have to go all the way to like the lights off, fully robot automated warehouse. There's things you can do. There's like little baby steps you can take to get there. Oh, for sure. You know, it, and it's interesting that those vendors, especially on the robot side, you know, originally were sort of, you know, out there pitching this as a capital investment sort of thing. And they quickly realized that this really is an operational budget thing. And so what they shifted into is a mode where they can do robots as a service. It's almost like you, you're, you're, you, you're hiring the robots and you can say, I want to, I want to add a few more robots during my busy season. Right. And so while the capital costs are, you know, the acceleration capital costs mostly around, like if you don't have good electrical service down that you can do the recharge, the charging stations, that happens to be one of the bigger costs. Right. But we're not talking about huge numbers here. Right. We're not talking about, we're talking about, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to, if you don't have good, you know, electrical service on the floor, you know, it, it, but if you have, if you already have um, electric vehicles in your fleet of, of fork trucks and stuff, you probably already have the service you need to do that. So this would be an add-on. So to your point, Mary, is that this can be an incremental, doesn't have to be, a, it can be an evolutionary step, not a revolutionary step in those cases where you want to take on things as bites, right? And I think the important thing that I would add though, is to have a big picture approach to this to say, here's my end goal. Now, I don't want to spend all that money and I don't want to I want to dip my toe into this and add some robots and get some ROI and do that. And then maybe make a short-term contract with the robot vendor to make sure this works. But my end goal here is to do this, right? And as long as you have that picture of, of like those steps, you can do exactly what you're describing, which is take things out as in smaller bites and really be effective from an ROI perspective. I think that the end goal is something that a lot of people forget to include, which seems kind of silly. But, you know, if you think about it, everybody's just talking about, oh, you need to have optimization. You need to do this. You need to have, you know, X amount of days, X amount of time, X amount of touches. Like you just want to reduce your touches in the warehouse, try to get things loaded faster, reduce wait times. But if you're just implementing all this technology for the sake of implementing technology, like at what point does that serve? Like what purpose does that serve? Because you can just keep implementing technology so that you're blue in your face, but then suddenly you've spent more than you wanted to for something that doesn't even work for what you want it to do. And you're still not even any further along your process. So I think that end goal is something that a lot of people forget to really establish or check in to make sure that what they're doing, the steps they're taking are actually going to meet. Yeah, 100% with you. Because I think like in the short term, people might be driven off of, uh, you know, during COVID and, and all that time, we had a massive difficulty in our in our space finding resources that wanted to do the work, right? And we still have difficulty. That's really manifesting itself less in in terms of hard to find people, but the but the folks have gotten more expensive because it's really competitive out there and people go across the street for 10 cents an hour, you know, and so what what I think that some people might start with this idea of well, we have to we have to get control of our costs. But really, you know, I think that if I were going to project out what the main goals of most automation is, it's scalability, right? It's scalability with predictive costs, right? And so if you start, like, I, I'd always tell people, yes, you're trying to address costs without because it's really a pain in the butt to try to hire people and that kind of stuff. But really, your end goal should be about scalability because you need to worry about that. And then your cost curve should 
if if you're managing that, your cost curve should be understood, understandable, right? And so you're exactly right. Have that end goal, whatever. I'm just making it up. That scalability is is my goal. But um, it might start off with saying, okay, I want cost, but in the end, I think you've got to look at the scale or or whatever is the the big burden um, uh, in your facility. I think scalability is what most people try to obviously accomplish, or at least the ability to take what I have here and replicate it somewhere else, which I guess falls within the scalability because you're like trying to scale and grow your operations. Um, but yeah, because what you get lucky with in one market might be something completely different in another. Um, but I guess when it comes to, you know, like we said, but there's all this technology coming in, there's all this innovation, kind of how do you begin to sort through the noise of, oh, we're like, because everyone's going to promise to solve all of your problems. But how do you kind of know which one is actually going to solve your problems? And how do you know which one you should maybe run away from and, you know, forget that you knew that? Um, yeah, that's a thing, right? So here's here's how I would say that is what I always, uh, this goes back to my last 20 years of doing implementations as a, more of an independent um, resource, but it's also the way we think about things in software, right? Is I think the, the approach that you should have, in my opinion, is that we should we should be looking at this to say I want to be somewhat vendor agnostic, like I would like my approach to how we do things to be agnostic to which vendors. It should be inclusive of that vendor's abilities, but agnostic because what will happen is, frankly, you know, I look at this stuff going out of motor. It's really innovation, innovative stuff. I think that six to ten of these guys in five years is not going to be around, or they're going to get consumed by somebody, and then the specs change and all the rest of that jazz. So. What we always say is, let, let's look for the best, uh, you know, look for the best functional fit and the ROI, but let's stay agnostic about how we approach that. And so folks like us, SoftDown in particular with our WES, we allow you to plug in any any number of these vendors and you can kind of substitute them, right? And while they're not strictly substitutable from a functional perspective, right, because some of them are follow bots and some of those are swarm bots and you know, there's you know, all kinds of other things going on in, in robotics, but also really innovative stuff around um, really fast ASRS stuff and, and uh, that kind of jazz that might fit better. Um, but in the end, what we always say is, look, you know, you want to be in control of your own destiny. The worst possible situation to your point about, oh, my gosh, this didn't work, didn't work out. If you build a whole bunch of technical infrastructure that works for this one situation, and then now you have to rebuild that, you know, when that vendor doesn't work out that sticks. And so I think that's that's when we talk to people, we just say, look, let's stay agnostic to that. They're great. They look great and they may be great. But if they're not, let's flip them out and put somebody else in. I kind of like that, you know, the that's an easier thing to do with, you know, obviously with Softion's help, because it, a lot of times like I've seen where, you know, they're like I've worked at companies where we've had a TM, like even just something as simple as a TMS. And we haven't been able to do we like we've literally had to create workarounds in our system and ha- and get another system just to get it to work versus just going back to that person saying, hey, this isn't working out or like, can you fix this? They're like, no, well, we've tried and we just aren't going to do it. And I'm like, well, if our TMS isn't doing what it's promising to do for us, why don't we get rid of it? And they're like, well, that's just too much effort. And I'm like, but coming but going and buying another software <laughs> to get this one to work, is it like? Come on, man. And I think that sometimes people kind of get lost in that big picture of things of, you know, you can end you can't end the conflict. You can't end or you can implement something new to actually make it work for you. And I think that that kind of, you know, 
goes along with someone's flexibility and adaptability to what they face in their and uh, whatever problems arise. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm here with you on that one. I, now, I would say that TMS is really. I've been around TMS implementations. They are really, they can be difficult. But um, there's so much, so many moving parts that you don't get to all in that space. But here's what I encourage people to do is say, look, as part of this contract with, with the vendors, especially if if it's if it's like we, me, I I I think there's enough cool things going on in uh, robotics that I you know, unless you need purpose-built conveyor systems, you know, for ultra-fast rotation, things like that, I encourage people to not bolt things down, right, anymore. I mean, it's just, it just narrows your, obviously, that's purpose-built. If you got to ship, you know, 50,000 packages an hour, you know, the only way you're going to do that is through a fast sort or a shoe sort or something like that. But in, in cases where you have, you know, other things, yeah, you know, other things going on, there might be situations where you can encourage a contract situation where you get to try this out with your vendor. Right. And there's a there's a trial phase where there's an out for you. And, you know, if you build the the in- integrations, you know, agnostically, you can say, OK, boom, you're out. That did not quite work out. We all agree. You know, you know, it's not you. It's me. You know, boom, we're going to we're going <laughs> to get somebody else in here. And then you you know, so we have done that with with especially the robot vendors. It's harder with uh, with, um, you know, sort of bespoke built things like, a, you know, auto store or things like that. But, you know, things like that, you know, I think are going to be much more well known and, and they should be able to give you all the, all the specs about their performance and then build that into the contracts and, but still stay vendor agnostic. So you can build little add-ons, as you said, sometimes we'll go in there and we'll say, Hey, you know, that W their, their system, their WCS that does things we'd like to, we'd like to increase the speed of, of the, which we can convey to convey to them. And then we can do that by because we're agnostic to the rest of the system. So those are all things that you as a customer can take on to your point about just being aware that, you know, um, you know, be optimistic, right? But be realistic about, you know, how you can approach. I like that, that have the, I think that realistic approach is something that a lot of people lose sometimes. They're just like, well, we have to do this or this is just the way it is. But is it realistic and is it actually going to work for us? That's one of the really important things that I think a lot of people lose. Yeah, I, I think what happens is sometimes if you get a vendor you're ena- enamored with, right, you start to speak their language, right? And so they want to do things a certain way and 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 so many conversations. I can already know when somebody contacts us, I can tell what vendor's in there by the words they use, right? And so that that tends to be a, you know, a, a thing where some customers are caught up in that. And again, I think, Get agnostic to all that. Just be agnostic and say, okay, we're going to build some more, you know, there's ways that we can build more standards, automation integrations, and we're not going to, we're not going to get to that low level with you. Um, but we can still achieve that integration and make it work. So you're exact, you're exactly. Um, kind of those, those rose colored glasses get a little rosy after a while. Exactly. Exactly. Um, one of the cool, I guess, uh, partnerships or integrations that you guys have had uh, recently is your partnership with Envisto. What kind of drove you guys to do this and uh, kind of what made them such an attractive partner with you guys? Yeah, you know, uh, for those of us who have been in the industry a while, a while they, they are a longtime trusted consultant in the industry. And to the point about being agnostic, they tend to be very agnostic about things. And they'll They'll bring in the best vendors and the best, you know, people that to in their experience have, have done well. And 
Um, we're thrilled to be associated with that. I've known the folks over in Vista for 20 years um, on different jobs and just socially and things like that. And um, they're one of the best out there. And obviously, there's great other uh, consultants out there, um, you know, but and Vista is one of the ones that um, is really exciting for us to be involved in just because of their legacy of good decision making, good projects, um, great support for their uh, for their associates that are doing the work. Um, they just a nice outfit. Yeah, it's always nice to work with the best of the best. You know, it's a good it make it makes your job a lot easier usually. It sure does. And you know, there's so many folks that have been around in this business and and to have someone like that, and there's a few other ones that have been around for a while that have um, you know, frankly I always thought like I'm in this business, I just have really good endurance, right? But um, you know, um they've been around uh and been able to be around because they just do it right. And there's, you know, um, and that's great to work with. So that's awesome. I, I, I always love hearing like the success stories of people working together. And, you know, when game recognizes game and says, this is, this is well, this is a good, this good group. Um, that being said, we are running out of time, but there's a question that everyone that comes on the show has to answer. And Mark, it might be the hardest question you get asked today. Are you ready for it? Yeah. Is a hot dog a sandwich? I'm going to go no on the sandwich. And here's why. Because me growing up um, in a not very wealthy family, my mom had to split hot dogs down the middle. Put You can put two of them split on the middle, put them on a sandwich, cut them in half, and give them to the kids. And that's how we ate hot dogs, with no bum. And, we, and my mom called it a hot dog sandwich. Since a hot dog sandwich is a different incarnation than the actual hot dog, there has to be two different variants. And a plain old hot dog is not a sandwich. I, that, that's honestly the first we've heard of that, but that makes a lot of sense because it's fundamentally prepared different when it's in a sandwich form versus like a traditional hot dog bun form. And I mean, I got to say, that's a really strong argument for those that are hot dogs, not a sandwich, because that holds up a lot better than my, if you go to the deli, you're not going to get a, you're not going to see a hot dog sandwich on, on the sandwich, on the deli sandwich menu. Like you're just not. So I like I like that one. So if anyone has any questions as to, you know, how to make the perfect hot dog sandwich or uh, if they or if they have any other questions about warehouse automation, where can they find you outside the show? Yeah, you can find me at Softdown at Softdown.com. Uh, and uh, I, uh, I've been around for a while. And so people ask me questions, far out questions about everything. And I'm always answering them no matter what software they use or what vendor they use. They come to me with all those things. It's just part of the legacy of, of being around. I absolutely love that. No question is too weird for you, apparently. Uh, but don't worry. We'll, we'll, fi- we'll find one weird enough for you that'll make you go, huh, this is, this is new. Yeah, excellent. Thank you so much for joining us today. I had a great time. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Find Check All the Podcasts anywhere else you get your podcasts like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Don't forget to check out all the other amazing FreightWaves podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe to the newsletter on FreightWaves.com slash check call. See you on the internet.